Sit down, strap in, and granny put your teeth in your pocket. Lead Lap Radio, powered by HMS Motorsport, the leader in motorsport safety, starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lead Lap Radio, the first in the Race Chaser Radio programming lineup each and every week. Uh, it is Monday night as we uh, do the show live on the Performance Motorsports Network and also on Race Chase Radio Network. Uh, and we've got a really fun show planned for tonight. Uh, a gentleman who is a not only a historian, but also a uh, media personality himself, hosts a couple of podcasts, Tim Leeming is going to be joining us and we're going to take a trip back in time and talk about uh, the good old days of motorsports uh, here in the South, probably most specifically, but um, really it's just going to be an opportunity to sit back. And as we get set for a championship to be decided in NASCAR this coming weekend at Phoenix, uh, it's just an opportunity to kind of look back uh, and I always enjoy these, uh, these types of shows. So, uh, he's going to be checking in with us in a half an hour show, uh, half an hour show. There we go. There we go. Where's my computer career when, uh, I need him. I need a reboot already. And we haven't even gotten into the first segment yet. My name is Tom Baker. Oh, by the way. Uh, and, uh, James Mellick is in the studio with me. <laughs> keeping me sane for two hours and uh, pushing all the right buttons, hopefully to keep us on the air. Um, we hope that uh, you'll enjoy this show. Of course, we've got a ton of material to talk about from not only the, the Martinsville weekend, but also um, some announcements that have been made. Uh, this show tries to focus a lot of its time and energy on grassroots racing, both locally and regionally, but also nationally, and uh, we've got some modified announcements that have been made. Two big NASCAR wheel and modified tour shows coming to the South in 2021. So we'll talk about those uh, a little bit later in the program as well. And uh, so we've got a lot to cover here. I should tell you that uh, before... Uh, we get too far into the show because I get asked all the time, well, how do we find the show if we miss it live? So I'll I'll just throw it out there right off the top tonight. So if you want to hear any of our Race Chaser shows on demand, you can do that. Everybody has a particular place that they like to go to get music or podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, uh, Amazon. We're on all of them. Just go and search Race Chaser Radio. Race Chaser Radio. That pulls up our uh, our channel, and you can get all of the shows that we do each week because we upload them in the order in which we do them. And there are five of them altogether, counting the two podcasts that we do. Um, those aren't always weekly, but uh, episodically, I guess you could say. Uh, but there's five shows altogether, so... Uh, again, just go search Race Chaser Radio. We are uh, building our audience quite nicely on Spotify for whatever reason. And uh, we're pretty humbled to be able to say that we were among the first batch of shows 
uh, on the new Amazon podcasts. Uh, so we are, again, our Race Chaser radio shows can be found on Amazon now if you uh, go get your, your podcasts and such there. Uh, we are there, but we're on probably about a dozen different uh, podcast platforms now um, just on Race Chaser Radio, plus, of course, um, our Thursday night show, Motorsports Madness, gets syndicated worldwide. And that's, of course, on all of our our podcast uh, platforms as well. But we're also on a lot of those same platforms through our syndicator, Sports Byline USA. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of ways to find our programming. Just search Race Chaser Radio. And uh, you can find it, or you could also just go to my website if you want. In fact, uh, we're in the middle of revising that a little bit, and uh, we'll have a separate playlist this week at some point, uh, hoping that uh, maybe it's done tomorrow, but at some point this week on Race Chaser Media, racechasermedia.com or racechaseronline.com if you're used to that, um, you can go there and you'll actually be able to get, uh, if you have a particular show that you like to hear every week, um, We'll have separate playlists for each of the shows on the shows page of our website. So with all that being out of the way, wow, we have a final four times three. Um, and, and man, I just feel like there is so much to unpack with regard to all of that. And I want to get into that in a minute, but I want to start with talking about something um, that I find to be really interesting. This seemed to come out of left field today. News was announced that Dale Earnhardt Jr. has made his tie to iRacing like big time official now. He has been named the executive director of iRacing.com Motorsports Simulations, James. Yeah, somebody asked me what that meant earlier today, and I just said to him, if I had to take a guess, I would say that he's going to have something to do with promoting races and getting races lined up for iRacing um, to potentially bring more money and more people there, maybe even a possible NASCAR league like they had uh, while NASCAR wasn't racing, something like that. Well, um, it's interesting. I can read the official announcement. I'm reading this from speedsport.com, but it was basically all over the media today. And it says iRacing.com Motorsport Simulations has announced that NASCAR veteran Dale Earnhardt Jr. is joining the company as an executive director and a part of the company's management committee. The NASCAR Hall of Famer, two time Daytona 500 winner, and two time NASCAR Xfinity Series champion will have a hand in numerous aspects of iRacing, from partnering community relations to user experience and the development of the platform's stock car offerings. Now, uh, I won't read uh, iRacing owner John Henry's quote because um, it doesn't really give us a lot of new information, just basically the what you'd expect. We're happy to have the blah, blah, blah. It's 20 years, blah, blah, blah. So... I want to read Dale's quote because I think this is kind of interesting. I've been a sim racer for nearly three decades and a devoted iRacing member since its beginning, Earnhardt said. 
Realizing iRacing's potential early, its success has always been important to me. Whether it was connecting iRacing with NASCAR in 2008, making other partner introductions, developing content, laser mapping race cars, beta testing new technology, it has been a privilege to be a small part of iRacing's expansion. Even more, it means the world to me to officially become part of the family. I'm excited to work with them on new partnerships and projects to continue iRacing's meteoric growth. Now, here's here's what's interesting, and I didn't even realize this. Earnhardt's interest in sim racing dates back to the 1990s as an avid player of NASCAR games produced by iRacing's predecessor, Papyrus. He brokered the first meeting between iRacing and NASCAR. I did not know that. Uh, which was held in the junior motorsports offices in North Carolina and has continuously supported sim racing through his own leagues and teams. Now, here's the payoff here that addresses what you guessed. Additional responsibilities that Earnhardt will take on in his new role in iRacing include esports, strategy, marketing, partnerships, and licensing. Wow, that's a lot. That is a it lot. Is a lot. I mean, but I mean, he's got a huge name and a huge brand behind him. So, if you can go and get him, I don't think iRacing made a bad decision. Oh, I totally agree. What's interesting about this for me, though, is this this would appear. It feels like, based on everything I just read, it feels like this is a full time job. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I would think it was a full time job for sure. How does this work? He's got he's got the race team, which I understand that, that Kelly oversees a lot of that, but he's got the race team, he's got his late model team, he's got NBC, um, you know, he's got all the kinds ra- he's of... He's got the racetrack, finding the racetracks, the hidden racetrack thing. Well, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the media, the Oh, okay, the, the you're podcast. talking the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Whole, okay. Yeah. He's, he's got all of that going on. How do you how do you take this big responsibility and sort of drop it into the middle of all that and make it fit? It, it makes you wonder what what may what other stuff or what else may be happening. Um, you know, did Dale look at this and say, you know what, um, I can get other people to help me focus on my current assets. Uh, and I can focus more time on this. Um, it, it's just very interesting. I'm sure that uh, the next Dale Jr. download, he'll probably talk about this. And it'll be uh, really interesting to hear what he has to say about how this is all going to work. Because, I mean, there's just in that last sentence, um, additional responsibilities include esports, strategy, marketing, partnerships, and licensing. That's almost like three or four different jobs there. Yeah, that's a whole bunch of jobs combined into one. And with the stuff he's already got on his plate, adding that to it, it's only going to make it that much harder. I mean, he's one of the guys that finds a way to make 24 hours, 48 hours, it sounds like. Yeah, well, and and there's no doubt about that. I mean, Dale, you know, Dale Dale has never struck me as being one to waste his time. No, he's definitely one that's not going to waste his time. And as somebody myself who sometimes um, gets a little bit too... Uh, far away from life work balance uh, and then has to sort of pull himself back a little bit. Um, that's a, that's a lot of responsibility. So it is going to be fun because look, I racing has just exploded onto the, yeah. the consciousness this year. I mean, it's always been, I think looked at as a, as a training um, 
you know, sim and 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 a place for 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 racers to go and do their thing. But I don't know that the mainstream ever really took it for everything that it 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 was or is until NASCAR ran with it in the midst of the pandemic. And then everybody else started following suit and sim racing all of a sudden became legitimate. Yeah. And um, so coming on the heels of the year that it's already had um, hiring Dale jr. And having to be a part of that's pretty, uh, pretty stout. So uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see what uh, comes of 2021 and beyond with regard to iRacing. We're going to step away when we come back, we're going to talk Final Four and talk Martinsville because, boy, do we have a lot to talk about. And then we're going to dig back very soon and just sit back and talk some motorsports history. Be back with more Elite Lap right after this. How to be a great dad in 15 seconds. Bike ride, go fish, walk in the park, phone call, milkshake, play catch, picnic, fly a kite, tell jokes, laugh, talk, read a story, tell a story, bumper car, swing set, bowling, pillow fight, cut loose, stay tight. Whew. Because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Automotive technicians and auto service trainees, how would you like to work at the beach and perform for one of the best car care centers in the nation? Lewis Meineke is now looking for skilled automotive technicians to join their award-winning team. If you're a gearhead that knows his or her stuff or a young up-and-comer that has the motivation and drive to succeed, then you need to make this call today, 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center, located in beautiful Lewis, Delaware, offers a highly competitive compensation plan, great benefits, a flexible schedule, and did we mention that you're going to be working at the beach? Plus, there's a signing bonus for the right candidates. Technicians must be ASE certified and have a minimum of six years' experience. Beginners advance at your own pace in one of several entry-level positions. But whatever you do, don't wait. These jobs will go fast. Call Tim at 302-827-2054. That's 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center. Rev up your career. You hear that? That's the sound of America's only sports car. That's right. It's a Corvette. But not just any Corvette. It's your Corvette. It's that who cares if there's traffic part of your day. And this can be you when you come to Cooper Corvettes. With 60 years of Corvettes to choose from, there's always a Corvette in your budget. And they'll service any Corvette you bring in. Cooper Corvettes. A route one just north of Quantico and Triangle. Call, click, or visit coopercorvettes.com. Victory Custom Trailers is the place to go for your next new or used trailer or coach. Being personally involved in the racing community allows Victory to fully understand what racers need in a trailer. They have over 200 coaches and trailers in stock for a variety of industries, and they can serve anyone in the continental U.S. If you're looking for something custom, they can assist in designing a trailer to fit your needs. Check out their entire inventory online at victorycustomtrailers.com. He wanted to be known for doing his best. His best made him Major League Baseball's most valuable player. He played in six World Series and was elected to the Hall of Fame. Although an honest man, he was best at stealing holes. But the best quality of Jackie Robinson's life was his character. So here's to you, Mr. Robinson. Thanks for passing it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at Values.com. 
I'm Casey Kane, and you're listening to Race Chaser Radio. Now back to the show. Welcome back to uh, Lead Lap, presented by Victory Custom Trailers. And uh, always enjoy talking about what uh, Chris and his staff do at Victory Custom Trailers, and we'll do that a little bit later in the show. Um, Real quick, uh, before we get to the... Uh, NASCAR conversation, uh, James Mellick reminded me that I needed to uh, get out the results of the All-American 400 at Nashville Fairgrounds over the weekend, and we're going to try to get uh, Casey Roderick on one of our next couple of shows here. Casey ended up taking the checkered flag, um, lost the lead on a restart, then got it back and held off uh, Chandler Smith to get the win in that race, uh, and... Uh, let's see here. We had Stephen Nassi finishing third, Carson Hosevar fourth, and Matt Craig um, finished in fifth. So uh, Craig, one of our um, North Carolina homeboys from Kannapolis, finished uh, in fifth. And Cody Connor, another Kannapolis racer who's been on this show many times, and I'm sure we'll have him back here pretty quick uh, to talk about this specifically, started out in the pole and ended up finishing in eighth and uh, did a really nice job. So um, it, uh, was a good job. Nassie won the pro weight model companion race. Uh, Michael Howe second, Dylan Fecho finishing in third in that one. And, um, let's see what else did we have? Oh, we had uh, point champions decided in the uh, final races for the weekly series. Tanner arms, um, got the uh, championship and super truck there at the fairgrounds. Jonathan Dishman, in the limited late model, Larry Cunningham in the street stocks, Josh Hood in the pure stocks, Daniel Harper in the front runners, Bryson Schaefer in the legends, and Aiden Potter in the bandoleros. Uh, all of that at the Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway. So there you have that. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, I had the chance to attend and actually uh, brush off my spotting skills at uh, Tri-County over the weekend. So I'll get to that a little bit later in the show as well. Um, cause that was a whole lot of fun and, uh, nice to, to spot for a driver that starts 25th and finishes second. That was, uh, that was way more fun than a spotter should be allowed to have. Okay. So we'll start, uh, with the NASCAR conversation and, and I guess we'll just start with, uh, the most recent <laughs> race of the three, and then we'll go backwards, uh, later in the show, but we'll start with cup. <laughs> so much to talk about here. First of all, James Mellick, um, You've worked on crews in the past, so you've done tires, you've been over the wall. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what happened with Chase Elliott's uh, crew member, because you can probably help explain kind of the the perspective that he would have had of this. Um, what happened was late the race, uh, on a pit stop, one of Chase Elliott's crew members went over the wall too soon, which, of course, would be a penalty for Chase and would necessitate, I think, a stop and go. But yeah, if it was it under green. Yes. OK, if it was under green, it would have been a I believe a drive. Yeah, it was either a drive through or a stop and go. But I think it's a drive. Right. Anyway, he would have to, yeah, he'd have yeah. to. It, so it would have been at least two laps. Would have been right. That's my point. He would have lost at least a lap or two in the pits, probably two. Well, what happened was 
the crew member either realized it himself or maybe it was uh, his crew chief, but but somehow so he got the presence of mind to jump back and reset himself before he touched the car. And then he was able to service the car without penalty. Now, um, that is in the rule. And I shared a copy of the actual rule on social media last night because a lot of people were saying, oh, NASCAR, I gotta like, get away with it. He's a golden boy, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, 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 it's like stuff a sock in it, people. NASCAR doesn't do that. It's just, they, they just don't. Um, they don't play favorites. They make inconsistent calls, but it doesn't depend on who it is. I'm sorry, I just don't buy it. And, and certainly they would have had, you know, Chase Elliott is not their golden boy. There would be others that I would, suggest would be in front of him but regardless um so you've been on uh, in that situation how much because i mean once you jump you've literally got split seconds to have either been told to go back and reset or to think about through previous training that you could do that and then be okay how i mean to me i just looked at that and went I mean, that's the presence of mind of somebody to make that reset happen and get him back in position, even though it slowed his stop a little bit, it kept him from the penalty. How, how much of a split, I mean, how, when you're doing that, you got no time to really think it's almost like a, a, it would almost have had to have been a reaction or somebody telling you to do it. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of those things that. Basically, you've just done it so much throughout your career practicing and uh, you have so many reps and you know the rules so well that you just know what you have to do if something happens um, because your adrenaline is calm. If it would have been somebody who was new and fresh, his adrenaline would have been pumping and the only thing he'd have been thinking is, I need to fit this car. Well, he had the right mindset to know. It's just like a quarterback. Think about a quarterback in football. Uh, when pressure starts getting tough at the end of the game, the younger ones who are still trying to develop tend to make mistakes. The ones that are veterans tend to fix those mistakes and find a way to make championship moves or wins, and that's exactly what this crew guy did. Uh, He made a great move doing exactly what he did. He knew it was going to slow the stop down, but he lived to fight another day, and ultimately it won him a race. Um, So, I mean, his decision time was very, very minute, and that's why, just like I said, the quarterback, that brings up a great point on why a lot of these places, like your Hendrick Motorsports, your Gibbs, your RCRs, Stuart Haas, they go after these athletes. Sure. Because all you have to do is train them, and they understand the athletic mindset because an athlete's mind is trained different than just a normal human's. If I mean, I believe so. In my mind, it is. Well, yeah, because what you what happens, and, and I can I can – speak a little bit to the race driving side of things because I worked with some younger drivers and, and a lot of it is that you, you train people on the mental approach. So what you're doing is you're basically teaching them the rule and then instilling it in them in a repetition sort of way. The brain goes through a process, a four-step process of learning anything, not just a, a racing skill, but anything. You go through four stages of learning. And so if you if you learn how to actually use those four stages of learning correctly, what happens is everything you do is by program. So if you teach that 
Jack, in this case, it was the Jackman. If you teach the Jackman or you teach your crew that if you jump too soon, reset, and you practice that enough times, it becomes a subconscious habit program. So as soon as you jump too soon, you realize you've jumped too soon, you'll automatically think reset. And in this case, he had enough time to do it and get back to the car. Um, Again, it slowed the stop by a few seconds, but not so drastically that Chase couldn't race his way back out of it. It saved a potential loss of about two laps, which would have, he needed to win to get into the championship. That two lap penalty at that point would have killed him. Yeah. And not saying that um, at practice, they don't set up scenarios where this happens because well, that's what there's I'm so many things that go through at practice. Like you're saying, that's yes. incredible. Like a coach will say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then that's what you do. I mean, he could say, all right, the front tire changer's jumping early. He's going to have to reset, and we're going to see what happens. Right. Uh, now it's the rear guy's turn. Now it's the jackman's turn. So everybody has to go through it. And then there's other stuff. You know, you're doing adjustments and everything like that every stop to practice. So they probably practice this multiple, multiple times, as you said, at practice. So a scenario like this didn't happen. Yeah. You have to you have to practice that program in order to – to be able to recall it subconsciously in a moment when you need it. And, and so a lot of people don't realize and, and mental training like that simulation, um, all of that, that's universal across, you know, industry, across uh, professions, rather, you know, it's, it's uh, simulation training for troops, rather it's, you know, simulation training to fly. You rehearse various scenarios of what if this happens and you always build a program for how to adjust and improvise on the fly. And that's what I think I would guess that a lot of your, for example, like your Peyton Mannings and the quarterbacks that use a lot of audibles. Again, that's all reaction. He sees a certain look from the defense and programs himself to automatically go to that, that play so that in the moment when that happens, he just does it without thinking. And nobody has to question. It's not a panic at all. He's in full control. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so that I just thought that was an incredible um, scenario that happened because that was literally the difference between Chase making the championship and not the Jackman saving himself like that. Or, you know, that really. So whether that was instilled by a coach or he knew it himself or whatever, that right there is what saved Chase's win. Yeah, and I think it would have been way too hard for the crew chief to radio to him and then him react with that time. So I had to right. believe that is all on the Jackman. He knew the rule, and he knew exactly what he needed to do. Because, I mean, you can hear it on the radio, but yeah. you know when somebody tells you to do something, you still have to think and then react. By that yes. time, it's too late. So yep. I believe that was completely done by that Jackman. Incredible. So Chase and the Hendrick team doing what they had to do to get in um, they won their way into the final four. So Chase makes it. Joey Logano was already in. Denny Hamlin uh, made it in. And, um, you know, the interesting thing about uh, where where this wound up is that Kevin Harvick was the first guy that everybody was 100% sure would be in the final four. Well, guess what? It proves that you still have to run the race. And he missed by a skosh. So we'll get back to our discussion of that a little bit later in the program because, uh, man, this th- there's so much to unpack from the weekend. But we got to step aside. When we come back, I think we're going to have Tim Leeming with us, and we'll uh, 
We'll dive back into the old days for a while. Back with more Lead Lap right after this. Strutmasters is the suspension experts for luxury vehicles, and now we offer motorcycle products. Introducing Easy Rider Complete Motorcycle Air Suspension brought to you by Strutmasters.com. You can raise and lower your bike with the flip of a switch. Take those long rides with the ultimate comfort of Easy Rider Air Shocks. They're backed by Strutmasters, and you won't believe the low price. Check out Easy Rider Motorcycle Air Suspension at Strutmasters.com. Parents, your son or daughter has had their license for a while now, but you want to make sure they're prepared for any situation they may face on the road. High school driver's ed doesn't teach them to drive defensively. They need to be prepared for any highway emergency. For less than a month's insurance, and a whole lot less, BSR instructors at Summit Point Motorsports Park in nearby Summit Point, West Virginia, will teach your son or daughter how to respond instantly and positively to unexpected situations on the road. BSR's specialized accident avoidance training teaches swerve to avoid maneuvers at highway speed, ocular driving, which focuses driving attention on ways to avoid accidents, vehicle dynamics and feedback, skid control, and skid recovery, threshold braking on straights and progressive braking on curves, and off-road recovery techniques. This is stuff driver's ed simply doesn't teach. So call BSR today, 304-725-8444. Give your kid the skill set needed to drive safely and responsibly on the highway. That's 304-725-8444. This is a test to find out if you know it all when it comes to children. Name one of the leading killers of U.S. children age 1 to 13. What's the best way to protect children in a car crash? At what age and size should a child start using a booster seat? Don't assume you know it all when it comes to car seats for your child. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat and know for sure. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Tyler Ingram, and you're listening to the Race Chaser Radio. Now back to the show. Back uh, to our lead lap show out of the break. And uh, Tyler, unfortunately, did not make the final four in his rookie uh, campaign, first year campaign, I should say, with GMS uh, Motorsport, GMS Racing. Um, But he'll be back next year. He and Zane Smith both returning for GMS. And I have been saying for several weeks now do not fall asleep on Zane Smith for the championship this year. And he's in the final four. Um, did a fantastic job at Martinsville over the weekend. And so uh, I think he goes to a track now that he loves, that he's had success at, and he's very comfortable at. And um, that ought to uh, warrant him being taken very seriously along with his other two GMS racing teammates as a championship contender this coming Friday night. But uh, we'll get to that in due course. Right now, we're going to go to the hotline, and we are going to be joined by a gentleman that I have uh, a great deal of respect for. And um, I always love when we can do something different on one of our shows here. And certainly I think the, um, the opportunity to kind of look back and talk about what racing was like decades ago. 
um, and talk about maybe some tracks and some things that are, that are, are, are no longer um, with us or, or, or operational. It's just always a lot of fun. Um, I had a chance to catch up on, I was probably real late to the uh, Lost Speedways party, Dale Jr.'s uh, Peacock show about Lost Speedways. Um, and, but I finally, this past week, downloaded that app and started watching some of the shows. And I saw a gentleman on one of them, a historian named Tim Leeming. Well, um, I thought at the time, I'm like, I know that name. I've seen that name before. And sure enough, uh, Tim and I have uh, followed each other on Instagram for a little while uh, through our Race Chaser Media Instagram. And um, I reached out to him and couldn't have been, he couldn't have been nicer. And uh, uh, right away agreed to come on and talk to us. So, Tim, welcome to Lead Lap. Uh, certainly a pleasure to have you and an honor. And uh, appreciate you taking some time just to uh, kick back and talk about uh, some stories from racing past with us. Well, Tom, the honor is all mine. I really appreciate you reaching out because I love to talk about racing history. And I, I like the way you've already clued the audience in on the fact that I am an old man <laughs> or what, what, some, what some of the younger folks now call a boomer. So that is <laughs> Me, I am a boomer, and I'm proud of it. Well, um, the you know the thing is, is uh, anybody who looks at me guesses me for about ten years older than I actually am. So uh, it you know it's part of the fact that I've had a five head since I was four, and uh, now I uh, I've been doing a buzz cut for years. So basically, I've got a bald spot big enough to park a tractor trailer in now. That's <laughs> <laughs> kind of how that goes. Well, my, mine is working on it from the back. <laughs> and I, I never knew I had a bald spot until my my daughter got married, and they took the wedding. I walked her down the aisle, and they took the wedding from or the wedding video from up above in the balcony, and you can see that little probably about the size of a golf ball ball spot just shining in that video. <laughs> well, uh, I I think I could fit about uh, half a bucket in mine. So, um, <laughs> we'll... Uh, See, I don't think when you go bald, that's a bad thing. It just means you're wiser. Oh, no, that's all it means. Yes. It just means you're wiser. Yes. That's it. Bald is, is beautiful. Bald is... Uh, it, yeah, that's a sure sign of wisdom. Yes, that's yeah, all that absolutely. shows. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. what you're saying, Tom, is you're wiser than I am. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm wiser than I was five years ago. I'll just leave it at that. Um, at least I'd like to think so anyway. Um, so, Tim, I, I, one, of, one of the things I love about doing interviews like this is every once in a while, and I think people um, who listen to radio shows and podcasts, I think they assume that, you know, the, the, the best hosts spend, you know, hours and hours prepping and they have stacks of stuff as Rush Limbaugh likes to say, um, you know, that, that they, uh, they, they bring to every show. And, and I do prepare for most interviews, at least to a point. But one of the things I love doing most about, um, what I do is, is telling stories and, and just kind of being the, the bus driver for someone else to tell stories. So I have to be honest and upfront with you in the audience and say, I prepared absolutely nothing for this interview because I want this to very much be you and I meeting for the first time, sitting out on the, on the back porch, 
uh, with, you know, with a beverage and uh, just, you know, an hour or so, hour and a half of time to to just talk about what it was like way back then. And, and I want to talk first about where you've been and what your career has been like. So um, you've been uh, you were a racer and then you you became a number of other things after your driving career ended. So can you just give us a few minutes of your background uh, in the sport and kind of how you, you know, you got to where you are now? I'll be happy to do that. First, I started out at just before turning six years old as a fan, and I always wanted to be a driver. And that finally came to be a realization of a dream in 1969 when we bought a Plymouth, a 59 Plymouth, from a guy across town, and we started racing it. So I raced the Plymouth for three years, and then we got it crashed real bad at Columbia Speedway. So I haven't had no plans for the next year, but I was called by a Chevrolet team owner asking me to drive for him. So I drove a few races for him in 1972, but I never could get away from how well my Plymouth handled versus the way the Chevrolet handled. So about six or eight races of that season, I was out. But then the next year before 1973 started, Several guys in this area with a car dealership called me about driving a Ford for them. So I drove a Ford in all of 1973 up until June 23rd at Myrtle Beach Speedway when I had a really bad accident, went into the infield, hit a car that a spectator was standing on. Oh, boy. And severely, severely injured the spectator. So and my driving days were over not because... I was afraid of it, but because I had actually hurt somebody else, and I just did not like that. So after that happened, I had mm. always been close to Dan Scott, who was the NASCAR official for the Columbia Speedway, Savannah Speedway, Augusta Speedway, and Myrtle Beach Speedway. So he asked me if I'd like to work with him the rest of the 73 season. So I did that. I worked, you know, I'd work in the pits, lining the cars up. Most of the time, they drew for positions in the heat race, so I'd hold a little bag, let them draw out their little numbers and write them on the pads and just generally help Dan every once in a while up in the flag stand or whatever may have been going on there. Sure. So during during that course of time, I had also was working for the Speedway, and I, I mean, I did everything to clean the restrooms, one of my most famous episodes at the Speedway was they needed help in the concession stand one night. So I went in the concession stand and was helping them make hot dogs with chili and onion. There you go. But nobody told me that you had to hydrate dehydrated onions. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. So I was was putting the onions on, putting the chili on top of it, and I think everybody that bought hot dog that night got that when they had something to drink and the onions I drank. So anyway, at the end of the 1973 season, when, when things were winding down and we had a Christmas party with a bunch of racing folks and I ran into a couple of guys that worked for 100,000-watt FM station that broadcast the NASCAR races every, every week. And we got to talking about blah, 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 blah. So finally one of them said, 
you seem to have the gift of gab, and I, boy, have I heard that a lot in my life. So <laughs> yeah, me too. How would? Yeah, I know. So how would you like to cover races for the radio station so we can actually have somebody there in person? I said, sure, man, that'll that'll be fine. So as it turned out, if you did that back in those days, you could request from each track individually two press credentials. Each came with two courtesy passes. So in other words, we'd have two press credentials, four courtesy passes, and a parking sticker. So we were able just to, to pile up and take everybody. We went to all the races at Daytona, Talladega, Darlington, Rockingham, Atlanta, uh, Martinsville, North Wilkesboro, uh, Bristol, you know, all those races we were fortunate enough to be able to go to as members of the press. And then I'd go into the radio station on Monday morning and wrap up what the people had heard. So that started a very long career with, WCOS FM that went from 1974 to about, I think, 1990. And then I got out of the radio for a little bit, and then they started up a new all-sports station in Lexington, South Carolina. Okay. And they called me and said, hey, we want you to do a racing show Friday morning, a half hour. I said, okay, we'll do it. So they got the local Lincoln Merkel dealership to sponsor it. So we went went ahead with that show, and we did it from 92 through, I think, 96. And we were still going to all the races, doing everything that we'd always done. We were right there at all the tracks. So then I got out of that in about 96, and then along comes this website called racersreunion.com who started a Uh podcast about, I think they started their podcast about 2007, and I was an on-air personality with them. They gave me the title, The Legend. Or <laughs> the, com- the computer gave me that title, That's The awesome. Legend. So I went through all of that. And then four years ago, we were up at Mount Area, and I was talking to a guy named Dan Henson, who runs iCast.network. And we got to talking about Bill Blair Jr. got involved with it about me having my own show on that network. So we started out with Bill Blair Jr. with the history part of it, and we've we've been doing that now for four years. And about two years ago, I said, you know, we need to get the young drivers involved in this too. So I started a Tuesday night show called The Racing Spotlight, and we've had young drivers from all over the country, even one from France and uh, several from Canada. So... We've reached out to all the young drivers. And you know what, Tom, the amazing thing, almost, I want to say probably 50 or 60% of the drivers that we've had on our Tuesday night show went out the next weekend and won their race. So we like to consider ourselves a good luck charm. That's awesome. Well, that's quite a – I was going to say that's quite a resume from driving to – uh, you know, all kinds of various radio uh, and now podcasting twice a week. And, and, and I want to, we need to step aside for a short break. So uh, we're going to put you back into the magical land of hold uh, just for a couple of minutes, uh, Tim. And then when we come back, I want to talk about uh, um, kind of how you, you intersected as a historian and got involved with uh, the Lost Speedways and some of the things you're doing there and uh, maybe uh, hear a couple of stories from uh, the, the good old days for you as well. 
Um, so we'll be back with more of uh, Tim Leeming as Lead Lap, presented by Victory Custom Trailers, continues right after this. How to be a great dad in 15 seconds. Bike ride, go fish, walk in the park, phone call, milkshake, play catch, picnic, fly a kite, tell jokes, laugh, talk, read a story, tell a story, bumper car, swing set, bowling, pillow fight, cut loose, stay tight. Because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Automotive technicians and auto service trainees, how would you like to work at the beach and perform for one of the best car care centers in the nation? Lewis Meineke is now looking for skilled automotive technicians to join their award-winning team. If you're a gearhead that knows his or her stuff or a young up-and-comer that has the motivation and drive to succeed, then you need to make this call today, 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center, located in beautiful Lewis, Delaware, offers a highly competitive compensation plan, great benefits, a flexible schedule, and did we mention that you're going to be working at the beach? Plus, there's a signing bonus for the right candidates. Technicians must be ASE certified and have a minimum of six years' experience. Beginners, advance at your own pace in one of several entry-level positions. But whatever you do, don't wait. These jobs will go fast. Call Tim at 302-827-2054. That's 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center. Rev up your career. You hear that? That's the sound of America's only sports car. That's right. It's a Corvette. But not just any Corvette. It's your Corvette. It's that who cares if there's traffic part of your day. And this can be you when you come to Cooper Corvettes. With 60 years of Corvettes to choose from, there's always a Corvette in your budget. And they'll service any Corvette you bring in. Cooper Corvettes. On Route 1 just north of Quantico and Triangle. Call, click, or visit coopercorvettes.com. He wanted to be known for doing his best. His best made him Major League Baseball's most valuable player. He played in six World Series and was elected to the Hall of Fame. Although an honest man, he was best at stealing holes. But the best quality of Jackie Robinson's life was his character. So here's to you, Mr. Robinson. Thanks for passing it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at Values.com. When Marlon Shirley was five years old, he was in an accident and lost his foot, but he didn't lose his heart. When you tackle a challenge that you just cannot even fathom tackling, when you accomplish that, the amount of integrity and the will and the heart that you'll get from that experience is what will set you up for your life. In less time than it took Marlon Shirley to say that, he can now run 100 meters because today he's the world's fastest amputee. Overcome, pass it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. Hi, this is Chandler Smith, and you're listening to the Race Chaser Radio. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Lead Lap, presented by VictoryCustomTrailers.com. Victory Custom Trailers is the place to go. If you are looking for a trailer of any type, it doesn't have to be for motorsports purposes, but Chris Hedinger and his group at uh, Victory Custom Trailers are racers themselves. So Chris prides himself on custom, hence Victory Custom Trailers. Um, 
he is so focused on custom trailers, in fact, that if you go to their website at victorycustomtrailers.com, there's a button right up on the top that says design a custom trailer. So you can hit that button and actually design your own trailer right from the website. And here's the deal. They're based out of Michigan, but that's okay. You can be anywhere in the continental U.S. Heck, they even shipped a trailer to Russia not long ago. So uh, if wherever you are in the world, they'll find you um, and uh, they'll ship the trailer to you. So um, Victory Custom Trailers, they're good friends of mine. Uh, Chris is uh, a racer himself. As I said, his daughter Katie is part of uh, GMS's um, driver development program. And um, Katie is just a... a really talented young racer and, and, and a very uh, fun young lady. She was uh, in here with uh, Chris a few weeks ago while they were in town for a test and was on this program. So if you, again, if you go find us, uh, just search Race Chaser Radio on your favorite uh, podcast platform and uh, scroll back and you'll find the show with uh, Katie Hedinger and Chris. She was, uh, she was a lot of fun. And uh, so anyway, uh, again, Victory Custom Trailers are great friends and, and good uh, great company to deal with. I'm not saying it just because they are friends. I've seen their work and it's um, it, the, the quality is really what, uh, what you, you need to keep in mind. So uh, we have Tim Leeming with us. Tim is uh, a lot of things. Actually, he was a racer. Now he is a, a well-known racing historian. He is also a podcaster with two shows, one that deals with future stars and one that uh, deals with racing history. And uh, we're going to talk to Tim a little bit more about those shows and and uh, make sure that before we let him go uh, this evening, you all know where to find those shows because we're going to do all we can through Race Chaser here to help him promote and uh, uh, add to his audience uh, for those shows because we think both of those shows are great ideas and uh, Tim's a great guy. So Tim, um, you've kind of given us your background. Um, as I mentioned, I think uh, in, in the, at the top of our segment, I discovered you, so to speak, um, for at least in my own uh, uh, world here. First time I knew about you was uh, watching an episode of Lost Speedways and um I think it was the track in Georgia, right? That you were, uh, was it the track in Georgia that you were, um, you were, uh, episode that you were on? That's correct. It was that three mile road course they yes. had in Augusta that ran one, one grand national race, which was Fireball Roberts' last victory. And Fireball was the one who really kind of got that whole project started, right? And was behind it all. Um, if I, if I remember the episode correctly. Well, you're exactly right. Fireball was behind it all, but there was a group of guys that Fireball was the main driving force behind it. And they had planned on building a two mile trial, a quarter mile track, a half mile track and the road course. They had lakes there to have boat races. I mean, the plans are all available to view, I think, on the AIRPS, Augusta International Raceway Preservation Society. If you scroll down far enough, you'll find the plan. And it was a magnificent idea, but it never came to fruition. I, You know, I don't know why I went to that race on the road course in November of 1963, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. That was the first 
road course race I had been able to witness in person. Take take us back to that time and and place, if you can, for a little bit. What was it like in in that time period? Because again, the the, the beauty of this Lost Speedway show is that you actually, of course, you get to see what, you know, the tracks, I mean, some of them are still in better condition, if you will, than than others. This particular show, I was just blown away, number one, by the sheer size of the road course, but number two, I was amazed by the view that that, that particular setting, just a beautiful area, of of Georgia, um, but but I have to imagine that back then, with guys like Fireball, I mean, racing was so much more pure in those days. Can you kind of take us back to what it was like to be at that race and and kind of draw us a, a picture in our minds a little bit of what that uh, that course was like? Because I understand it was kind of crude and it 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 it, it, it looked it. Uh, from the show, that it was uh, quite a challenging course, to say the least. Yeah, it was quite a, a challenging course for all the drivers. And one of the thing, one of the unique things about it that a lot of people have gotten, when you came down what was the front straightaway, which was actually a long sweeping turn, the pit area was to the outside of that long sweeping turn, and it didn't take long for those guys to find out that you could come flying down the pit road. There was no speed limits then. Yeah. You could come flying, flying down the pit road, stop for two seconds, and take off, and you would be at the other end. Of, you'd, you would beat all the guys going on the track. But oh. when we got down there, <laughs> when we got down there that Sunday morning, and we had been anticipating this for the longest time because being only 70 miles away, we were getting all almost daily updates about what was going on. So we were really excited to get down there this Sunday morning. In the meantime, Joe Weatherly had qualifying, qualifying, or practice one, had run off the track, went into a lake, and he swears there was an alligator in there. <laughs> so they they named that the alligator, alligator Swamp or whatever. But to see those cars, I think Freddie Lorenzen and Fireball Roberts, Joe Weatherly, uh, Richard Petty, of course, Billy Wade, David Pearson, all those guys were in it. Ned Jarrett, and it was just fantastic. Rex White, and it was fantastic to watch them. We started out watching where they come into the first almost hairpin turn at, at the end of the long straightaway. And that was some kind of thing that we had never seen before, race cars doing that on a racetrack instead of going around in ovals. So... During the process of the race, we walked all around that track and observed from every place, and it was indeed a very unique situation. It was something that that being at oval tracks all your life, you just couldn't imagine things like, for instance, Richard Petty's transmission went out on, on the back side of one of the turns. And they didn't know, you know, they couldn't see him. There were pine trees and all there, so they couldn't <laughs> see him. So we were standing not too far from where he stopped, and we watched him get out and wait for somebody to come along. Nobody came along, so he finally started walking back to the pit. Somebody eventually realized he was missing and sent a uh, 
I think they sent an ambulance first to go around and check see if they could find him. But it, it was so many little comical things like cutting through pit road to make up the thing, make it up. And then I think, I think Freddie Lorenzen, if I'm not mistaken, and I haven't done any research either, had the race pretty much in the bag, but he was running low on fuel and had to stop. And that put Fireball in the lead and Fireball went on to win it. And that was his last victory, as I said. And it was quite a, quite a celebration in the pit area victory lane or whatever you want to call it that they had because they didn't really have an official victory lane. Yeah. The track was, was that new. I mean, they rushed it to get it ready and they rushed it to get on track and they had originally scheduled it for a 510 mile race. But oh they my realized gosh. Quite, yeah. 510 miles. But they realized that the speeds that they were qualifying at, that wasn't going to really work, so they put it on a time limit so they could get it done before darkness. Because this is November now, so there was no daylight savings oh time. So I think they ended it up about 5.30, and that's how Fireball came to win. But it was something, I mean, I've never, never forgotten watching Joe Weatherly drive that track. Rex White was just incredibly awesome out there. Fred Lorenzen did, Jerry, all of them. But do you know seven, I think it was seven, of the top ten drivers in that race were dead by the following November of 64? Oh, man. Well, seven of them. Including Fireball, right? I mean, that... Uh, including Fireball. Yeah, because he had his fatal accident at Charlotte, if I... Right. Yeah, um, and passed away several days later. It's, uh, that's incredible. And, of course, those cars were, were so crude and in so stock i mean it wasn't as if you had uh in your arsenal road course cars and speedway cars and all of that i want to pick up the story right there uh when we come back on the other side of this break uh tim we're gonna have more with uh tim leaning and uh, more of lee lap coming up right after these words You own a performance car and you know how to drive, but you want to learn real performance driving. Well, Bunky, get that car off the street and onto the track. Summit Point Motorsports Park, the Mid-Atlantic's premier road racing facility, located just over an hour from D.C. in nearby Summit Point, West Virginia, is the place to go. And you'll find that Friday at the track is going to give you what you need. For less than a monthly car payment, you can attend this regularly scheduled one-day instructional event in your street car on one of Summit Point's three world-class road racing circuits you'll receive classroom instruction skid pad instruction in their cars including front and rear skid control and four 20-minute in your car instructional sessions from a professional instructor have fun go fast and really learn how to drive call 304-725-8444 for class schedules and details that's 304-725-8444 friday at the track at summit point motorsports park Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Here's an important message from Rad and this station. Party, yeah. Party, 
Hi, this is Bob Sheehan from Blues Traveler for Rad, recording artists against drunk driving. I like to party just as much as the next guy, maybe even more. But the one thing I won't do after I've had a few is get in the car and drive. Don't blow it. Always choose a designated driver. Remember, music lives and so should you. Automotive technicians and auto service trainees, how would you like to work at the beach and perform for one of the best car care centers in the nation? Lewis Meineke is now looking for skilled automotive technicians to join their award-winning team. If you're a gearhead that knows his or her stuff or a young up-and-comer that has the motivation and drive to succeed, then you need to make this call today, 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center, located in beautiful Lewis, Delaware, offers a highly competitive compensation plan, great benefits, a flexible schedule, and did we mention that you're going to be working at the beach? Plus, there's a signing bonus for the right candidates. Technicians must be ASE certified and have a minimum of six years' experience. Beginners advance at your own pace in one of several entry-level positions. But whatever you do, don't wait. These jobs will go fast. Call Tim at 302-827-2054. That's 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center. Rev up your career. Hi, this is Spencer Boyd, and you're listening to Race Chaser Radio. Now back to the show. Okay, welcome back to uh, Lead Lap Radio, and uh, we are broadcasting live from the WSIC studio in Statesville, North Carolina. My name is Tom Baker. James Mellick is in the studio with me, punching all of the right buttons to keep us on the air live on Performance Motorsports Network, as well as uh, RaceChaserOnline.com on the homepage player. And our special guest on this show rejoins us via the hotline, and that is Tim Leeming, motorsports historian and uh, podcaster himself. And uh, in the last segment, if you're just joining us, we were discussing... Uh, the Lost Speedways episode where Tim um, helped us to look back at uh, the old Augusta road course down in Georgia, three-mile road course with some amazing views and uh, um, talking about just what it was like back then uh, in in that era of time with Fireball Roberts and Rex White and Richard Petty and all of the the greats of that period and um and and Tim mentioning that uh, one of the the little uh secrets that the drivers discovered that was not intended uh, necessarily by the folks who built the place was that if you just uh cut through the pits um on the part of the course where the pits were if you cut through the pit area and and stop for a couple seconds you'd still make it back onto the track and you'd be ahead of where you would have been if you just uh, stayed on the racetrack and run kind of followed the course around to that point, which is really uh, amazing when you think about it. Uh, but I I want to talk about just the kind of the uh, the way that, that races were run back in those days, Tim, um, because, again, completely different from the, the racer aspect in that you didn't have cars for road courses back then because this was – kind of a whole new deal was this the first actual road course that that those guys ran on as a sanctioned event or with i think this was an outlaw event wasn't it this wasn't an actual nascar points race yes it was oh it was okay i couldn't remember from the show okay yeah 
Yeah. Uh, it seems to me like back in the 50s, they ran a road course on an airport up in New Jersey, oh, wow. although I don't recall the specific details. And there may have been one other short road course fitted in there somewhere. Okay. But they started. That That was, I think, the first major dedicated absolute NASCAR road course that I'm aware of that they ran on. Wow. And it was a giant course. I mean, you know, again, a three-mile road course is um, – that's a pretty hefty course even by today's standards. I mean, you think about – um, Road America, for example, is the largest course that NASCAR currently races on, and that's uh, just a, a sliver over four miles. So three miles is substantial by today's standards, let alone back in, what, the 60s, wasn't it? Uh, where, um, you know, they, they, I mean, we didn't have uh, all of the... the the, the ways of, 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 you know, fuel stops and calculating mileage and all of that. How did, how did those guys even approach that kind of a race um, in a situation like that? You know, I, I really don't know the technical answer to that, but I think, and I'm trying to think as I'm sitting here, Tom, whenever they started Riverside, I think in 1963, or 1964 started running. No, 1963. Okay. They started running okay. Riverside, so that would have been in January. So that would have been before Augusta. Oh, gotcha. But I think okay. the way the way they prepared for it was the way they prepared for everything else. They came in. I think they came in on a Wednesday. They had Wednesday and Thursday to practice, and then Friday and Saturday to qualify, and then Sunday was the race. And there was an awful lot of practice. It went on. I remember talking to Rex White before the race, and he said he had already run 510 miles trying to get his car tuned up, trying to get everything ready to make sure it was right. But, you know, the thing about racing then, most of the drivers were so involved in wrenching on their own cars along with their mechanics. I mean, you could go back in the history books and see – Richard Petty under the hood with Maurice. You can see Ned Jarrett under the hood working on his car. Wow. You can see Fireball Roberts from time to time down there doing things to his car's engine as well. It's not like today's guys. They fly in by helicopters, go in their motorhomes, come out and race, and then it's all over, and that's it. But racing back then compared to what it is now, the whole preparation deal now was done by computer. Yeah. Back then, it was done by supermen like Ray Fox and Cotton Owens and, you know, Jehovah Moody and just people like that that could put together a race car, I think, far exceed anything this technology puts together today. Well, I agree with that in a lot of ways, and, and it certainly was was better, I would argue, is better racing back then by by every measure. Uh, not necessarily safer, though, as as we saw on that uh, on that broadcast, um, because if I remember correctly, when you were coming by where that swamp was, uh, the lake, there, there was no guardrail, basically. It, it, and that's how um, that's how drivers ended up in the lake. Right. Because it was really no. Um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of concern necessarily paid 
uh, back in those days to making sure that, uh, you know, that there was uh, safe, safer barriers, so to speak, or any kind of barrier necessarily, really. Right, because there was a lot of that track that had no guardrail. Yeah. And it was just, you know, it just go into the turn. And, you know, it had bank turns. Some of the turns were banked. What degree, I don't call sure. specifically, but they would have bank turns. But they didn't have guardrails, as you could plainly see by the film that uh, Lost Speedway's put up there. You know? Yeah, it's it's just crazy to look back uh, at, at the tracks back then. And that's one of the things I love so much about what what Dale is doing with that show. Uh, and, and I honestly, uh, I mean, I've known, um, what, what I would call historians in the past, but most of them, um, are, are more so specific to a track. Um, whereas what I seem to see on that show is there's a, first of all, there's a lot more historians than I realized. Um, but second of all, uh, a lot of you kind of have a much bigger uh, base of knowledge than, than just necessarily one specific track. It's uh, it, it's been quite amazing, honestly, to uh, to just watch the first uh, half dozen or so episodes from the first season of that show. Um, from your perspective, uh, what does a sh- what does a, a a show like that do? Um, for someone like yourself as a historian to be able to help you to have visuals to help tell the story to other people. Because um, for me, it's one thing to sit and listen um, to a radio show about this. It's a whole other thing to be able to look at it. Yeah, it is. But, you know, the all the tracks they've done so far were tracks I actually attended races at. Yeah, because I was very, very fortunate growing up. My uncle Bobby, who introduced me to racing at five years old, we went all over North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, up to Tennessee, going to races at little quarter mile tracks, half mile tracks, everywhere, asphalt, dirt and whatever. So, you know, we had all that background behind us. So even though Columbia Speedway is my home track for for so many different reasons. We also did like Newberry and Asheville Weaverville and, you know, uh, Okanichi Speedway, just everywhere, North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina, even into Tennessee. So it was through my uncle taking me to all these places that I had the advantage of actually becoming, I, I never had an intention of becoming a historian, but it's just <laughs> that I love the sport so much. And I am so glad Dale Jr. is doing what he's doing. I agree. You know, it, it's, it's just an amazing, amazing thing. And Matt Dillner, he has working with him. Matt is one of the, the nicest, most professional guys I have ever worked with in any of the production. And I worked with a production for HBO Canada. Oh, wow. Uh, about four, four years ago, I was a part of the presentation they made they did a one a half hour show called born on the bottle and i was their historian part historian for that along with bill blair jr and bill blair jr is the world's greatest historian bar none yeah bill is uh bill bill is a frequent guest of uh, mitch walker's on on uh, the mitch walker show which is on uh, also on performance motorsports network as we are live at this moment um 
And uh, I love listening to Mitch and Bill talk about the old days. It's just so much fun to, 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 and, and, and I just love hearing about those tracks and to be able to see the pictures of them is even more uh, incredible. And, and I, I had heard some stories uh, and I want to, this is where uh, we need to take another break, but when we come back, I want to talk about the, the Asheville uh, track in the episode because I had heard some stories about the rivalries that took place there, but I had no idea of the intensity or some of the things that went on. And I'm sure you can help us to uh, to talk about that when we come back. So more with Tim Leeming coming up as we continue to look back at the golden years of racing, specifically here in the South, but really these stories happened all over. We're going to talk more uh, as we come back on uh, League Lap right after this. <laughs> Parents, your son or daughter has had their license for a while now, but you want to make sure they're prepared for any situation they may face on the road. High school driver's ed doesn't teach them to drive defensively. They need to be prepared for any highway emergency. For less than a month's insurance, and a whole lot less, BSR instructors at Summit Point Motorsports Park in nearby Summit Point, West Virginia, will teach your son or daughter how to respond instantly and positively to unexpected situations on the road. BSR's specialized accident avoidance training teaches swerve to avoid maneuvers at highway speed. Ocular driving, which focuses driving attention on ways to avoid accidents, vehicle dynamics and feedback, skid control, and skid recovery, threshold braking on straights and progressive braking on curves, and off-road recovery techniques. This is stuff driver's ed simply doesn't teach so call bsr today 304-725-8444 give your kid the skill set needed to drive safely and responsibly on the highway that's 304-725-8444 you hear that that's the sound of america's only sports car that's right it's a corvette but not just any corvette it's your Corvette. It's that who cares if there's traffic part of your day. And this can be you when you come to Cooper Corvettes. With 60 years of Corvettes to choose from, there's always a Corvette in your budget. And they'll service any Corvette you bring in. Cooper Corvettes. On Route 1 just north of Quantico and Triangle. Call, click, or visit coopercorvettes.com. Victory Custom Trailers is the place to go for your next new or used trailer or coach. Being personally involved in the racing community allows Victory to fully understand what racers need in a trailer. They have over 200 coaches and trailers in stock for a variety of industries, and they can serve anyone in the continental U.S. If you're looking for something custom, they can assist in designing a trailer to fit your needs. Check out their entire inventory online at victorycustomtrailers.com. Hi, this is John Andrasik of Five for Fighting, here for RAD, the entertainment industry's voice for road safety. You know, style is a personal thing, and your lifestyle is your business. But if you take it on the road, it becomes everybody's business. So please, plan ahead, designate before you celebrate. Friends, don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. When Marlon Shirley was five years old, he was in an accident and lost his foot, but he didn't lose his heart. When you tackle a challenge that you just cannot even fathom tackling, when you accomplish that, the amount of integrity and the will and the heart that you'll get from that experience is what will set you up for your life. In less time than it took Marlon Shirley to say that, he can now run 100 meters because today he's the world's fastest amputee. Overcome, pass it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. 
Hi, I'm Jesse Love, and you're listening to Race Chaser Radio. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Lean Lap, presented by Victory Custom Trailers. Um, we uh, we are really having a good time tonight. Uh, it's um, it has just been a fabulous uh, opportunity to sit back and look back at um, the old days of uh, racing here in the South and what it was like back in those days. I, I just really am blown away by uh, by by what this must have been like, especially the uh, the road course, uh, as we talked about uh, in the last couple segments. But I want to talk about, uh, we'll bring Tim Leeming back out, and I want to talk about uh, the old Asheville track, Asheville Speedway, because when I first came here to the um, Charlotte area back about, well, almost 14 years ago now, uh, and started to meet some of the local racers or past racers i heard stories about the track in asheville that's no longer there and it was always with some kind of man that was a huge loss for racing in this area because it was such a a great track and whatever and and tim i used to hear about robert presley but i never heard the depth of 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 his domination there and then some of the things that actually took place there um, between him and guys like Jack Ingram and and whoever else. Um, I'm sure you obviously attended races there. Uh, Talk a little bit about from the fan point of view, what that track was like, because again, uh, there's an episode of of Lost Beeways dedicated to it. And it just looked like it was a really nice track and it's still there. It's just a multi-use facility. They don't use it as a racetrack anymore. Yeah. Well, that Asheville track. Now I, I have to qualify this to say Robert Presley is a good friend of mine. Okay. We get off talking about Robert, but yeah, you had the, you had the competition, I think with Robert Presley and of course, Jack Ingram. I'm trying to think who else was, Involved. I don't know if Butch Lindley had come along by that time or not, but it, it was always on any of these little half-mile tracks, on any of these little short tracks, there would always be a at least a two-car rivalry and, and sometimes three. And to watch what went on from week to week to week, and eventually somebody was winning all the races and he'd have a bounty put on his head. But I think the Asheville track was probably one of the most competitive, well, I, I can't say that because Columbia Speedway was probably the most competitive, and I may be biased in that, Yeah, but it's still, the Asheville track was just one that put on good race after good race after good race. They had some great feuds up there. I think Jack Ingram and Robert Presley were two of the big feuders. Uh, I don't think they ever came to Fisticuffs. I don't believe <laughs> But they came came to an awful lot of bent fenders. Of that would never happen. You you never see drivers fight. Um, I I can only imagine. Again, back in those days, um, political correctness wasn't much of a thing. <laughs> and so, we didn't know what it was. Yeah, we, we did not know what it was. You know? I wish we still didn't. In a way, uh, yeah. I I think uh, I, I I'm all for professionalism, and I think there are limits, but. Um, 
I really do uh, think that sometimes the whole business aspect of the sport gets in the way of the entertainment value in some ways. Um, but uh, Robert was just, uh, again, I, I've had the pleasure of meeting him a time or two just briefly, not any uh, kind of detailed conversation. Uh, and But he just was, he was a much bigger legend in these parts than I think a lot of people probably realized, wasn't he? Well, I think he was more, when, when you compare him to Jack Ingram, Jack Ingram was more the boisterous showman, get out there and put on a show and whatever it took. And Robert was the kind of steady racer, I'm here to race. I'm going to get out there and do the best I can behind the wheel. And, you know, he won a lot of races, and that brought what fame he had to him with all those wins. But I think that was a difference in personality because Jack Ingram, as much as I respect him and like him, he can sometimes be a very gruff character. <laughs> See, there's, to say the least. There's, a, there's a nice politically correct way of uh, putting it right there. No, no, I mean, he's a great guy. He really is. But, you know, he can, he can be on a tear yeah. at times just because something does not suit him, and he's the first to let you know. Well, now, and, and of course, the episode that, that talks about Asheville details a, a story that that actually involves the the local police. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you just things like that are part of what what built the sport. I mean, again, you know, we're talking about a sport in terms of NASCAR that was basically built from moonshiners and and, you know. I think we try to sort of gloss over the the atmosphere and what was going on in this part of the country at that time. Um, and and again, I'm not I'm not saying moonshine was involved here because it wasn't, as far as I know. But other than maybe some people might have drank some at some point. But um, you know, but but it just these these weren't necessarily you know polished people, and sometimes. You know, you you run into somebody with a car. I mean, stuff that you see at Bowman Gray Stadium now, um, you know, happened much more frequently at more tracks back in those days, right? It happened almost every week yeah. on any track you chose to go to. Yeah. It was going to happen. It would really happen. You know, I, I went to Ralph Earnhardt came to Columbia Speedway almost every Thursday night. And Ralph Earnhardt would get out there, and he, he was for probably 90% of the time he was a clean racer, but if you got in his way and he needed to be in front of you, he'd move you. He'd move <laughs> in a big hurry. And Ralph was the one that would come to the track, and he'd park his car up against the pit fence near turn four, and he'd take it off the trailer and then get there and sit on the hood of it. He never raised the hood, never worked on it, took it out to practice, took it out and raced it, and that was the way he operated. So he prepared to win before he left the shop, is what you're saying. Right. That's exactly right. And he let you know it, too. <laughs> Somebody asked him one time, right, raise the hood, and let me see what you got out of there. Ralph said, no way. No, I was standing there. <laughs> he said, nope, not going to do it. That's hilarious. Um, and, and it's so insightful, too, as to the kind of a uh, – of a, uh, the kind of race car driver that Ralph was. And I, I remember 
uh, Buddy Baker in his book, which is a great book that's not nearly long enough. I feel like Buddy needed about three more because nobody could tell a story like Buddy Baker could. And he tells one story about, uh, and again, I don't remember what track this was at, but one of the old dirt tracks here in the area, um, it, it, back during Ralph's days, uh, that that for three straight weeks, the same guy was leading and Ralph uh, spun him out out of turn four coming to the checkers. And then the fourth week, the guy was leading again and he looked in the mirror and saw Ralph coming and spun himself out without Ralph even touching him. <laughs> so, didn't that didn't that happen at Hickory? I think that was up at it, Hickory. It may have been. I don't remember. I'd have to go back to the book and, and find it. Yeah. Um I I I need to go back and read through the book again. I that was one of the those books I you know I, I I'm single so I go out to eat uh, so, you know alone a lot of times and I love to read when I eat. It's just you know it's fun and and uh, and I I would oh, yeah. I brought that book uh, when I first got it I was bringing it to you know to restaurants or whatever and I and I remember being in one restaurant and it just that was the moment when I realized that I shouldn't bring. Um, Buddy Baker books to restaurants because I know I was irritating the people around me because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> it was just like you can't, you know, don't bring those kind of books to restaurants. Uh, but it's, but it, it, it's, it's a great book, and and again, it just it speaks volumes to as to the kind of a driver that Ralph was, and and I feel like that could all that was also the perfect um, foreshadowing of the coming of the Intimidator because Dale. It would get to the point with Dale where after, you know, he got the reputation for hitting enough people enough times, you'd see him coming in your mirror and see that big black good wrench symbol and you'd just drive too hard into the corner, drive up the track and he'd pass without even touching you. Yeah, that happened many times. You're right about that. It also happened many times he touched you. <laughs> yeah, well, that too. And like I said, that that was kind of, uh, you know, once once he had that reputation, you know, he would just get in your head and then, you know, do all kinds of uh, crazy things to mess you up without really doing anything at all. Uh, just, uh, you know, amazing. But uh, tracks like Asheville, I mean, I've been to Kingsport Speedway uh, a few times and uh, and I really enjoy going going over there. And that was another track. In fact, Robert, I know for a while, uh, operated the track. I don't know if he still does, but um you know, that's a, that's, a, but, but yet everybody, every time I mention Kingsport, somebody wants to tell me a story about Asheville. W- was there really that much of a difference in sort of the, uh, uh, the aura between the two tracks or was it just that Asheville is no longer in existence and it's kind of fashionable to talk about what we've lost? I think it's probably because Asheville is no longer in existence. Um, that's probably what it is because that was, you know, to an old race fan that grew up with the sport, that's part of the magic of thinking back and living back in those days. Yeah. And and you've got Asheville to look at and say, oh, the memories I've got there. <laughs> and then you talk about Kingsport and you say, oh, what memories I could make there. Yeah. So, it's, it's you know, that's the difference is whether or not you want to look back. And it's not necessarily living in the past. I think it's appreciating the past exactly. and appreciating all you've been through and racing has been through to get to where it is today. 
yeah, I can I can definitely appreciate that, and I uh, uh, can't believe we're done with another segment. If you'll hang on, uh, we're going to take another break, and then uh, we'll come back and continue with Tim Leeming. This is just a ton of fun. Uh, back with more of Lee Lap right after this. Do you love the sound of high-revving motors and the smell of burning rubber? Do you want to get your car sideways right at the ragged edge of control? If you've always wanted to try drifting or learn to improve your drifting skills, Summit Point Motorsports Park, the Mid-Atlantic's premier motorsports facility, has the expert instructors and the specialized track to teach you how to drift and the skills necessary to drift competitively. From skid pad to open sessions, Summit Point Motorsports Park has the safe and open environment that allows drifters of all skill levels new to intermediates to get sideways and smoking. With a focus on safety and the skill set necessary to drift competitively, Summit Point Motorsports Park's Drift Nirvana is just the thing for you. Call for your reservation today, 304-725-8444. Or for more information, go online, summitpoint-raceway.com, or you can email them at office at bsrinc.com. Drift Nirvana, getting you sideways the right way. Victory Custom Trailers is the place to go for your next new or used trailer or coach. Being personally involved in the racing community allows Victory to fully understand what racers need in a trailer. They have over 200 coaches and trailers in stock for a variety of industries, and they can serve anyone in the continental U.S. If you're looking for something custom, they can assist in designing a trailer to fit your needs. Check out their entire inventory online at victorycustomtrailers.com. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. Beware of telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you. Call is threatening you with arrest or other legal action and demanding money are not from us. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Do not provide them with any form of payment or information. Report the call at oig.ssa. What an awesome game. What's up with your car? I don't know. It won't start. How are we getting home? Chill. My parents signed me up for the roadside assistance from Lewis Meineke. It was free with my oil change. They'd come and get the car started or get us home and tow the car to the shop. Good to know. With my driving, my parents never know what to expect. When you join the Meineke Car Care Club with a $35 preferred service, you get four free months of roadside assistance, including tire change, battery jump, lockout service, towing, and more. Contact Lewis Meineke, located on Route 1, or call 827-2054. When do you think of a plumber? Like most people, even if it's an emergency, you can be confident about who will arrive to help you. For quality and reliability, count on someone you can trust. Call on the plumbing services of Hague Quality Water of Maryland. Plumbing doesn't have to be an emergency. We handle all kinds of preventative maintenance, too. Hague Quality Water of Maryland is family-owned here in Annapolis since 1993. For a refreshing choice, call us at 888-84-WATER or visit us online. Hi, this is Ross Chastain. You're listening to Race Chaser Radio. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to uh, Performance Motorsports Network and or uh, Race Chaser Radio Network, whichever you're listening to us on live. We appreciate it. And if you're hearing this show on demand uh, by following Race Chaser Radio, three words, Race Chaser Radio on your favorite uh, podcast or a music platform, uh, we appreciate that as well. We are joined tonight by Tim Leeming, a racing historian and uh, 
radio host, podcast radio host himself. Uh, and we have had a ball talking about some of the uh, days gone by here and some of the older tracks and so forth. Um, I just, I wish I had uh, another two hours, but uh, we've got about 30 minutes left. We're going to uh, um, run uh, right to the end of the segment. So, uh, Tim, we we um, we bring you back in, and I want to talk about Hickory a little bit because we, we touched on it. But um, every time, of course, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm from up north, uh, way up north, and uh, growing up in my youth in the 70s, I used to read all of the uh, racing trade papers, Speed Sport News, Speedway Scene, uh, Winston Cup Scene, all of that. And and I would read about uh, tracks like Winston-Salem and Hickory and, and South Boston and all those tracks. And then, of course, we started seeing races on TV from a lot of those tracks. So when I when I got down here, uh, which was really a, a goal of mine from about 15 years old, um, and walked into Hickory for the first time, and saw the champion's wall. Uh, I mean, it, it just, for me, I could just stare at it all day. The names that are on that wall, the history, the races, um, the things that have happened at these tracks that have played such a big part eventually in NASCAR, you know, cup history, big time history, the drivers that have come through, uh, I can only imagine what it was like to experience it all live. And and honestly, for, you know, for this, uh, this old, you know, getting older guy from the north, um, I look at a place like Hickory and just, I want it to be around forever. That's just, I, I don't want to ever see that track or any of these tracks go away because as we see on the Lost Speedway shows, Every time one of those tracks goes away, we lose a part of what made racing great, in my opinion. Well, your opinion is exactly right, because without tracks like Hickory and Greenville Pickens and yes. Myrtle Beach and Asheville Weaverville and all those tracks, there wouldn't be anything today. I mean, take a look at North Wilkesboro. What yes. a gigantic part it played in building stock car racing. And now it just sits there as an empty venue. It's, it's, the track is still in fairly good shape the last time I was up there, oh, I think three years ago. But uh, to see pine trees growing up through the grandstand is just something that, yeah, you know, it, it disheartens me because I love those tracks. I love the part that they played in building the sport that I care so much about. But now when you, you go into... Some of these venues, like all the venues have changed. Like when we used to go to Darlington, we were always in the infield. Sure. Now they've got they've got just one little part in turns three and four blocked off where spectators can go. And I think all the rest of it is for the drivers, motorhomes, and all that. Uh, Daytona. We used to go in Daytona infield. Of course, we had press credentials to park our motorhomes. Sure. So that wasn't a big, big issue. But now they are $1,500 a spot for the weekend for a motorhome to park plus your tickets to get in there. So, you know, all of the growing tracks like Hickory, which was and still is a great venue for motor racing, even though NASCAR is not running there anymore. Yeah. It's, it, it was a place where Bobby Isaac, Dale Jarrett, uh, even Glenn Jarrett, 
all those people got their start, or at least made a reputation for themselves on that hickory track. So, you know, and Bobby Isaac is buried in the cemetery right outside. That oh, track. is he really? Wow. He is. And in fact, they say you can stand by his headstone and almost see down in the track. But Bobby Isaac was one of the greatest drivers, in my opinion, to ever sit behind the wheel of a stock car. He, wow. he was just a, a super fantastic guy. And you'd associate him with Hickory because he was a part of Hickory and Hickory was a part of him. So I'm with you, Tom. I, I hate to see the speedways disappearing because each time one closes and each time one goes to the lost speedway generation, we've lost a part of what it took to build NASCAR into a major sport. Yeah. So, well, and, you know, and, and grassroots racing in that area too. I mean, I, you know, I look at some of these tracks like Okanichi and, and even just some of the other ones that, that were, have been profiled so far on the lost speedways episode. And I think to myself, all of the local drivers that, that raced and, and built legends and built, you know, built followings and, and everybody that worked there and, and went and watched races there, you know, yeah, it's still sort of a shadow of it still exists, but you know, that, that part of that, that chapter in motorsports history is now gone. And, and it's just, it's, it makes me appreciate every time I get to go to a track, like you said, like Hickory or Greenville. I mean, I, I had the, had the opportunity to work at Greenville for a year calling races there. And you know, the names, David Pearson and, and, you know, play, and people like that, uh, Buddy Howard, you know, guys that, that won multiple championships and built huge names at, at, at Greenville Pickens. Incredible. I mean, you know, these, this area, the history is just, if, if you really pay attention to it, um, gosh, there's just so much to learn and so much to understand about, uh, what happened at all these tracks for all those years. Yeah. You take North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, that's your trivecta of what made stock car racing. And they still argue whether it started in Georgia or North Carolina, <laughs> but I, you know, I don't care where it started. Yeah. We were three, the three states that made it happen. And, you know, back in the day, 90% of the drivers were from North Carolina, South Carolina, sure. or Georgia. Yeah. And it's just, and all the tracks that we had located there, there are tracks now that, you know, it's like Newberry Speedway. Newberry Speedway was a little quarter mile track in South Carolina. They put on races up there that you would die to see today. And it just disappeared, closed, disappeared. Man. I don't know what's there now, but they, I don't even think you could find it for Lost Speedway. Ugh. But it's things like that that tear at your heart when you grew up and it was such a part because Newberry is only like 50 miles up. We went up there every Saturday night, my uncle and I did. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's sad but then in a way, when you have the memories inside you that, that I have, it makes it all better, I think. But Bill Blair and I talked a lot on our Thursday show about the fact that these drivers are passing away that helped yes. to build the sport. Yep. And we're trying so hard to get them archived in our thing. It's like James Hilton 
was scheduled to be on our show two weeks before he was to appear. Oh. He got killed in that wreck, you know. So we lost that part of history. That would have been another great part to have archived in our Thursday night show. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's just like the racetracks. We lose the drivers. We lose the track. And I just wonder how many tracks. We had a figure eight track about 10 miles down from where I'm living right now. They ran figure eights on the first time I went there. I thought, man, this is crazy. Ah. But it it was bringing out huge crash. I bet it was. Yeah. I never saw anybody crash, but it was it was just <laughs> something. But that was all a part of racing, you know. And it's am- I, I just don't want to lose that time. It's always amazing to me. I, I've seen some figure eight racing, and I just, gosh, there's 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 being nuts, and then there's being nuts. And to yeah, me, being nuts. You know, <laughs> to me, figure eight racing is sort of the super level of being nuts. Uh, but, I agree. But it's crazy to watch, for sure. And you yeah. don't see as much of it as you used to. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I just I, I understand what you're saying about wanting to preserve uh, the archives and get them to tell their stories because – I've done a similar thing with the super modified division, which, uh, you know, is, is used to be a national division. Uh, but you know, now it's mostly confined to, uh, Oswego Speedway up North, my home track in New York, and then, uh, a little bit of New England and, in, in, in the Midwest and the Ohio area. Um, but, uh, again, so many legends that, um, you just, uh, gosh, you know, you don't want to lose them. And so, you know, I, I started doing a podcast uh, that was based around that uh, same concept for that division. And, and so I love that you're doing that. And I, uh, you know, I, I look forward to uh, catching up to some of those shows now that I know it exists and uh, going back and listening to some of those old shows because, uh, gosh, there's nothing. The older I get, the more I'm really into knowing as much as I can about history and that's, again, why I keep coming back to Dale Jr., but my gosh, what he has done to bring yeah. a lot of that history to the youth, to, you know, to put it out there in a way that, that the younger generation coming up now wants to go look at it and see it and understand, you know, that's, it's just, that is invaluable. You can't put a price on that. No, you can't put a price on it, and it's just something that, you know, every time we do one of those Thursday night shows, we I get the emails. Bill Blair actually hosts that show. Okay. You know, I, I do the control board, but he is the host for the show, and he brings on all these guests. But I want to tell you a little quick story. Sure. I I have an Instagram friend in Kazakhstan, and oh, wow. he's 21, he is 21 years old, and he is a huge Huge race fan. Now, Daniel and I watch every race together through Instagram. On Sundays, we're always commenting back and forth, back and forth. Oh, that's awesome. You know, he is so into the history of the sport that he can, he can rip off things just like he's sitting there reading a book. He is, he is one of the most interesting people I think I have ever met. And he is in Kazakhstan, and that's Russia, you know. Yeah. So I guess I've got the Russian connection, but so far, no dossier has been put yeah. out on me. <laughs> no disinformation has been passed. Uh, no disinformation. Other, other than maybe some uh, racing lies and exaggerations. Uh, uh, I think we call that bench racing now. 
Um, yes, we do. But uh, that's see, but that's the power of what social media has done, and I love that. Uh, that here's this this young man, uh, you know, half a world away or whatever, and and uh, and he's really digging not only the the sport itself, but also the history of it. And and I just I love that. Uh, well, uh, gosh, I want to. Uh, I need to get you back on again uh, soon so we can do a little bit uh, more reminiscing here. But uh, before I let you go, Tim, first of all, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, taking the time. But also, uh, I I want you to tell everybody where can all of us go find your shows so that we can uh, add those to our must listens each week. All right, I'll be happy to do that. But first of all, let me thank you, Tom, so much for the opportunity to be here and talk about history. I love to do that. And you've had quite an impact on me tonight listening to you. Now, I broadcast over iCast.network, but you can find my shows. You can Google The Racing Spotlight, and it will bring up all of our archive shows. And it will also allow you to listen to the shows live on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. On Thursday night, our show on Thursday night is Ghost Tracks Race Talk. And you can Google Ghost Tracks-Legends and pull it up. But you can just go to Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com, and get on there and go down to Automotive, and you'll find our show. And awesome. listen to them that way. But they're all archived, and I don't know which is my favorite, the Tuesday night show or Thursday night show, but I love doing it. Yeah, see, and, and I do too. I, I love uh, being able to be uh, the first place that a younger driver gets an opportunity to do radio and then helping them to to better their media skills from that. And I also love uh, opportunities to interview the legends and talk with folks like you as well. So uh, I just think that uh, we're both pretty blessed to be able to do what we do and uh, have the opportunity to to do that. Uh, So again, thank you, Tim, so much. uh, And we'll talk again soon. That is Tim Leeming. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we'll go back and we'll uh, catch up on playoffs and uh, some other things. We got a lot to get through in a short amount of time. We'll do it right around the turn. Be back with more right after this. When do you think of a plumber? Like most people, even if it's an emergency, you can be confident about who will arrive to help you. For quality and reliability, count on someone you can trust. Call on the plumbing services of Hague Quality Water of Maryland. Plumbing doesn't have to be an emergency. We handle all kinds of preventative maintenance, too. Hague Quality Water of Maryland is family-owned here in Annapolis since 1993. For a refreshing choice, call us at 888-84-WATER or visit us online. Here at Lewis Meineke, we're more than just your average car care center. Hey, it's Dave, your neighbor from Lewis Meineke. Whether you need an oil change, brakes, tires, or anything under the hood, we've got you covered. Take advantage of our free check engine light service as well. Yes, free. And don't forget about our free shuttle service. Never stress, we'll take care of the rest. On with life. Give us a call at Lewis Meineke, 302-827-2054. Victory Custom Trailers is the place to go for your next new or used trailer or coach. Being personally involved in the racing community allows Victory to fully understand what racers need in a trailer. They have over 200 coaches and trailers in stock for a variety of industries, and they can serve anyone in the continental U.S. 
If you're looking for something custom, they can assist in designing a trailer to fit your needs. Check out their entire inventory online at victorcustomtrailers.com. Do you love the sound of high revving motors and the smell of burning rubber? Do you want to get your car sideways right at the ragged edge of control? If you've always wanted to try drifting or learn to improve your drifting skills, Summit Point Motorsports Park, the Mid-Atlantic's premier motorsports facility, has the expert instructors and the specialized track to teach you how to drift and the skills necessary to drift competitively. From skid pad to open sessions, Summit Point Motorsports Park has the safe and open environment that allows drifters of all skills levels new to intermediate to get sideways and smoking with a focus on safety and the skill set necessary to drift competitively summit point motorsports parks drift nirvana is just the thing for you call for your reservation today 304-725-8444 or for more information go online summitpoint-raceway.com or you can email them at office at bsrinc.com drift nirvana getting you sideways the right way If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Derek Gross, and you're listening to Race Chaser Radio. Now back to the show. Welcome back, and uh, boy, you could call this, uh, we used to call this on our shows the lightning round. It was always the last segment of the show, and it was basically a whole bunch of stuff condensed into a short amount of time. So uh, we'll get right on to it. Let's go back, first of all, uh, to over the weekend, we had, from the modified point of view, NASCAR-style modifieds, two huge announcements, the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour is coming back next year to two uh, really important Southern venues. Martinsville, for one. Uh, yeah, supposed to that was supposed to happen this year, but of course, uh, like everything else, um, COVID canceled it. Um, and then uh, they're also going to Richmond. And that's huge for the uh, modified division in general. And it's particularly huge for the NASCAR Wheel of Modified Tour because, again, for a number of years from the uh, uh, mid-2000s until here a couple of years back, uh, NASCAR had a Wheel and Southern Modified Tour. Well, they kind of just shut that down and moved the tour, condensed it back up to the north, uh, and they would run one, you know, Bristol or the Ram Myrtle Beach a little bit. But... um, the opportunity to see Modifieds again at Martinsville in the spring is going to be incredible. I can't wait. That is a must-attend for me. And then to see them at Richmond on the three-quarter-mile track where they have raced before but not in a while is just going to be absolutely spectacular. And the two tracks are working together with some um, some uh, promotion between them and such. It's going to be uh, two huge races, and we're going to try to uh, uh, get somebody on next week that can talk with us about the details of that. Um, so, but but if you uh, if you go look, 
it's 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 uh, on the NASCAR dot com website. All the information. Um, just uh, go to their uh, page that deals with the uh, advanced auto parts, uh, the uh, weekly racing series. And you'll find it. Um, but the the modified tour coming back down south is huge, especially since now we've got the smart modified tour revived down here. Um, that was the predecessor to NASCAR's Southern Wheeling tour. Um, and when when NASCAR came in with their tour, Smart Tour kind of just parked. And then um, after NASCAR left, we had a couple of sort of incarnations of that, the SMRS, uh, you know, a couple of uh, tours like that that were sort of uh, meant to be uh, a local modified tour. But now the Smart Tour brand is back. Uh, they've run uh, three times already this year, twice at Caraway and once um at Florence Motor Speedway, one more big race for them at Florence coming up on the 21st of November. That's down in South Carolina, Florence Motor Speedway, along with the Carolina Pro late models and uh, the uh, stock late models as well. That's going to be a fun uh, day. I'm looking forward to being down there for that. So, um, again, huge announcement from the modified side of things. We'll have more on subsequent uh, relap shows about that. And also, uh, New episode of the uh, Mainly Modified podcast coming out uh, later this week as well. We're going to have John Smith uh, from uh, uh, the Smart Tour, our most recent winner there uh, at the Caraway Speedway uh, two weeks ago. And we'll talk with John and uh, have more information again about uh, what's going on with the NASCAR Tour for next year. Okay, now we go back to, uh, let's call it the big divisions of NASCAR. NASCAR National Talk, because again, playoffs. Um, we we started talking about uh, the Cup Series playoffs, and, and the big elephant in the room was that Kevin Harvick missed by a skosh. And that caused a lot of controversy. Nine-time winner, regular season champion, but misses the playoffs by a skosh. Why? Because the last couple of races of this this last round weren't very kind. He finished second at Texas, or finished uh, second, but couldn't pass Joey Logano, and then goes to Martinsville. At Can- that was at Kansas. Then goes to Martinsville and gets a flat tire early in the race. They struggled with getting the, the, the car to handle and speed out of it. They finally got it to a point where Kevin could drive his tail off, um, got back on the lead lap. And I think everybody thought at that point, James Mellick, okay, Harv's going to find a way to get in. And boy, he almost did. He tried to spin Kyle Busch on the last lap to get the extra point to try to get in. Yeah, I definitely thought he was going to find a way to get in there. And uh, when I saw him get up beside Kyle Busch and I saw he didn't quite have the momentum to get by him, I was kind of wondering what he was going to do. I mean, it's for the championship. They were talking through the whole TV show, what would you do for a shot at a title? And Harvick proved what he would do right there. I mean, he was going for it. And even in his interview, he said, I'm sorry that Kyle Busch had to get caught up in that. But, hey, I was going for a championship. And that's exactly what he knew he had to do because he didn't have the car to get by him. Um, so I can't blame him for it. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, it's kind of one of those, it, it shows you the, the fine line that exists because, you know, again, here's a guy who should be, uh, I mean, there's no reason he should be racing for the championship, but you, in this era of NASCAR, 
winning the championship comes down to one race, but in order to get to that race, you've got to race your butt off every lap of every race all season long. And and somebody said last night, well, but why should Harvick not? He's the regular season champion. He should get a bye or he should get to, to automatically race in the final. And I said, well, then should he get to take the next nine races off? And the, the, the response was, well, if you win Daytona, you could basically take the next 24 races off or 25 races off until the playoffs starts because you're in the playoffs. And my response was, no, you can't because Kevin Harvick won nine times and it still wasn't good enough to carry him through to the final. You've, there's no points racing anymore in NASCAR. If, if you were somebody, and I was, who looked at the old system and used to just, like, I, it was like nails on a chalkboard for me when I'd see some driver whose car wasn't right that day. So he would basically just cruise around and, and, and try not to crash and then get out of the car and call it a good points day. I mean, I wanted to just, like, reach through the TV and slap him. It's like, this is a race. It's not cruise control. So when NASCAR came out with the playoffs, I was excited because I thought we would get to a point, and we are, where every lap counts. You can't slack. And this year, it just bit Kevin Harvick. He wasn't good enough at Martinsville yesterday to make up the deficit. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Busch did the exact opposite last year. Kyle Busch had to point his way in to home to Homestead because they raised Homestead last year, and he won the title because he struggled throughout the playoffs but still found the fastest car when it counted. Right. Harvick this year just was not able to point his way in to Homestead and give himself a shot at that title. I mean, um, like you said, you got to be perfect every lap when it comes to this. It's the playoffs. Yes. That's just like playing a baseball game series. When you yeah. go to a three-game series, you have three games. you got to win two of those three. Yes. Not saying he's got to win. He's just got to outrun the competition. That's exactly how championships in other sports are handed out as well. Well, and look at it this way. If he finds a way by Joey Logano, he doesn't have this issue. He's nope. already in. Okay, and and Joey's the one, and Joey would have ended up probably getting in because he finished good yesterday. But, I mean, you know, there you go. So, Do you feel bad for him? Oh, you definitely feel bad yes. for him. I mean, they won nine races this year. Absolutely. You definitely feel bad for those I, guys. I do. I feel very bad for him, but I also feel good about a system that prove that it works because just because you're the the best guy for the first 26, you got to do it in the last 10. And, and they, they started off really good in the round of 16 with a couple wins, but couldn't carry it. And uh, that loss to Joey Logano was, 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 that was the straw that ended up breaking the back for Kevin Harvick. Now quickly Xfinity series, Harrison Burton wins Martinsville wins two races in a row and becomes the youngest driver to ever win at Martinsville, breaking his father's record. Hello, Mayor. The mayor's son is now in the record books there. And, uh, of course, again, the championship for there, uh, you know, you got Allgaier joining uh, Chase Briscoe and Justin Haley and Austin Sindrick. That's going to be amazing. Um, I hate that we ran out of time to talk trucks, but, oh, man, this is going to be an incredible uh, final four weekend. Uh, hope you enjoy it. Watch all the races. And, uh, you know, if you can get to a local racetrack, please go. They need all the help they can get. So um, that's going to wrap things up. I, like I said, I wish we could have gotten through everything else that we had. But uh, 
Uh, we'll come back next week. And, of course, uh, Thursday night, Motorsports Madness, the gang, will all be here. It should be a lot of fun. And we'll uh, have a very lively, I'm sure, uh, discussion about uh, the championship for in every division, uh, all three of the big divisions. So we'll preview the weekend on Thursday's Motorsports Madness. Until then, uh, I'm Tom Baker. Thanks to the folks at WSIC for having us. Thanks to James Mellick, as always, for being an awesome producer. And thanks to Victory Custom Trailers, the rest of our sponsors. Good night. You've been listening to Lead Lap Radio, powered by HMS Motorsport, the leaders in motorsport safety. You can find them on the web at hmsmotorsport.com. Lead Lap Radio is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of the show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.